Though Robin Ellicott's twenty-five years of life had seen their moments of drama and incident, she had never before woken up in the certain knowledge that she would remember the coming day for as long as she lived. Shortly after midnight, her long-term boyfriend, Matthew, had proposed to her under the statue of Eros in the middle of Piccadilly Circus. In the giddy relief following her acceptance, he confessed that he had been planning to pop the question in the Thai restaurant where they had just eaten dinner, but that he had reckoned without the silent couple beside them who had eavesdropped on their entire conversation. He had therefore suggested a walk through the darkening streets, in spite of Robin's protests that they both needed to be up early, and finally inspiration had seized him, and he had led her, bewildered, to the steps of the statue. There, flinging discretion to the chilly wind, in a most unmatthew-like way, he had proposed on one knee in front of three down-and-outs huddled on the steps, sharing what looked like a bottle of meths. It had been, in Robin's view, the most perfect proposal ever in the history of matrimony. He had even had a ring in his pocket, which she was now wearing. A sapphire with two diamonds, it fitted perfectly, and all the way into town she kept staring at it on her hand as it rested on her lap. She and Matthew had a story to tell now, a funny family story, the kind you told your children, in which his planning—she loved that he had planned it—went awry, and turned into something spontaneous. She loved the tramps and the moon, and Matthew, panicky and flustered on one knee. She loved Eros and dirty old Piccadilly, and the black cab they had taken home to Clapham. She was, in fact, not far off loving the whole of London, which she had not so far warmed to during the months she had lived there. Even the pale and pugnacious commuters squashed into the tube carriage around her were gilded by the radiance of the ring, and as she emerged into the chilly March daylight at Tottenham Court Road Underground Station, she stroked the underside of the platinum band with her thumb and experienced an explosion of happiness at the thought that she might buy some bridal magazines at lunchtime. Male eyes lingered on her as she picked her way through the roadworks at the top of Oxford Street, consulting a piece of paper in her right hand. Robin was, by any standards, a pretty girl, tall and curvaceous, with long strawberry-blonde hair that rippled as she strode briskly along, the chill air adding colour to her pale cheeks. This was the first day of a week-long secretarial assignment. She had been temping ever since coming to live with Matthew in London, though not for much longer. She had what she termed proper interviews lined up now. The most challenging part of these uninspiring piecemeal jobs was often finding the offices. London, after the small town in Yorkshire she had left, felt vast, complex and impenetrable. Matthew had told her not to walk around with her nose in an A to Z, which would make her look like a tourist and render her vulnerable. She therefore relied, as often as not, on poorly hand-drawn maps that somebody at the temping agency had made for her. She was not convinced that this made her look more like a native-born Londoner. The metal barricades and the blue plastic Coromec walls surrounding the roadworks made it much harder to see where she ought to be going, because they obscured half the landmarks drawn on the paper in her hand. She crossed the torn-up road in front of a towering office block labelled Centrepoint on her map, which resembled a gigantic concrete waffle with its dense grid of uniform square windows, and made her way in the rough direction of Denmark Street. She found it almost accidentally, following a narrow alleyway called Denmark Place out into a short street full of colourful shop fronts, 
windows full of guitars, keyboards, and every kind of musical ephemera. Red and white barricades surrounded another open hole in the road, and workmen in fluorescent jackets greeted her with early morning wolf whistles, which Robin pretended not to hear. She consulted her watch. Having allowed her usual margin of time for getting lost, she was a quarter of an hour early. The nondescript black-painted doorway of the office she sought stood to the left of the twelve-bar café. The name of the occupant of the office was written on a scrappy piece of lined paper, sellotaped beside the buzzer for the second floor. On an ordinary day, without the brand-new ring glittering upon her finger, she might have found this off-putting. Today, however, the dirty paper and the peeling paint on the door were, like the tramps from last night, mere picturesque details on the backdrop of her grand romance.